Right. Good afternoon with Dennis Fithian on Detroit Sports, ready to get things underway. Podcast number 24. Well, we're certainly going to remember the pandemic of 2020. How will we remember this past week and this month? We're only a couple days in, and we'll talk about this week in the USA, and we'll get to some football, too. So we bring in Mike O'Hara from DetroitLions.com, who's on the other end of the line. Mike, how are you today? I'm doing pretty good, Dennis. Now, this is number 24. That means I'm doing better than the Lions are in most of the ratings I see in that. 27th, 29th, 30th, 28th, all this preseason stuff. So I feel I feel honored that I'm 24th. Well, we'll get to those lions. I, I you know what? <laughs> okay. I, don't, I don't know. 27th, you know that that seems low. But I mean, if you're if you're operating off of the, you know, the way they finished last year, you know, I get that, and you know, things like that. I, I guess you can make a case for it. Uh, so we'll see. We'll see. I, you know, I haven't I haven't gone through and actually uh, rated it myself. Have you have you rated the entire league yourself, Mike? Uh, no, not yet. I, you know what? I want to see him play, and I think the Lions will be better. I don't know how much better. I also think the Vikings will be better. Uh, the, the Bears and the Packers, I think they'll be about the same in terms of quality of the team, but I don't see the Packers as another 13-win team. So I think there's a chance there for you know, for the Lions to, uh, to contend for at least be in contention in December, and, and if they are, they play three of their last four games at home at Ford Field, which hasn't been all that good to them lately. But I think they've got a chance. But you need more than a chance. You need action, and you got to do it. You gotta, and I've always said this, you haven't done it until you've done it. And so it's on the Detroit Lions to do it. No. Well, you always said that, and Parcells always said, you are what your record says you are, right? That's what you are. Absolutely. Right? So, sure, absolutely. Yeah, I'm with you on that. What about this week? I like We all know the United States is hurting here and. You know, specifically Black Americans. I mean, they're sad, they're mad, and you know, I am too. And you know, it's just a, it's one of these weeks. There's, there, there's no cure, there's no cure all, and it, it does, it did have a feeling that you know, this is a, this is a cycle somewhat where you know, a few years ago there was Ferguson, Missouri, and then you had the, uh, the, the situation in New York, Eric Garner, if you remember that one, and, sure. and now you know George Floyd, and and so. I understand uh, empathetic where, where people are with this situation feeling like, okay, yeah, mad, but in, in taking to the streets in, 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 in protest, not looting and things like that. But uh, you know, with, with everything that's combined right now, and then this, uh, this video, just a heinous video of all of that. I mean, all of it has come together here where, you know, this is going to be one of those weeks, like I was saying here, that this this is going to be one. Uh, who knows how this month will go, but we'll. And I think it's good. Uh, hopefully, we will talk about uh, you know the end of May, beginning of June, twenty twenty, as we look back and say, hey, that you know that was something that there was some meaningful change. You know, yeah, that's a good point by you, Dennis. And another one, and I thought about this just since the beginning. But you know, it, it, in a sports uh, uh, connection and a pro football connection. What have we always said when we've seen, when, when, when there have been a reports of domestic abuse and then all of a sudden we see the video? We see the video, it changes everything. Joe Nixon of the Cincinnati Bengals now. When the video came out, it changed everything on, on how he is regarded and what he did or he, when he broke the jaw or whatever it was of that, that young lady. You had, uh, uh, a clear example of domestic abuse. We had the video. It took a year or whatever it was for that video to come out. 
On this one, we had the video right from the beginning. There's no doubt. Right. And you had the, the clock at seven minutes. It's eight minutes. You hear people in the background. You're like, I can't breathe. I can't breathe. Excuse me. You have people on lurkers yelling, you know, let them up, let them up. You're killing them. And worst of all to me, three fellow police officers stood there and watched. What are you doing? Protect and serve. Who would have, who could have, met, who could have brought any punishment against the three fellow officers if one of them, two of them, three of them had gone over and just shoved them off the guy? Shoved them off, Floyd. What right. are you doing? You're just watching him kill somebody right before your eyes? I, I, of all of the things that happened right up to that, I'm just talking about that moment. That's the one I don't get. What is wrong with you? No, and you, and and you're right about that video. I didn't. I, I that is the part because you can look and and there's there's nothing where you can say, well, there was this or there was that, and we don't know all the situations. The the times before though, the that that I think that that have that people are so much on edge that again I get is that like even the scenarios when you'd look before you'd say, well, you know, this is this certainly seems like enough of. Uh, uh, evidence where you would bring some charges up and this would go to court and then it doesn't happen. And then it's like, wow, man, no, really? That, that's not going to happen. And that, that's just one of the things that's, that's the frustrating part. I think that's where, you know, at least where I'm, I'm talking about it here that I, I know there were, you know, rallies uh, in Ann Arbor, you know, uh, against police violence, against police brutality. You know, that's, that's the part here also where you're, you're looking at it and saying, Hey, holding those, those other guys that were standing there, and then once you have some of this evidence that we all see, and then it just goes on and like, nope, nothing that kind of like, it feels like nothing to see here. And then we're kind of back just, you know, where we were. That's, that's frustrating. Yeah. And I get that. I get this, that, that it requires investigation before you charge and all that, but doesn't, when you have the video, it doesn't take what it was, two and a half days or something like that. And that just, just common sense. That just fueled the, Look, it didn't make it any better one way or the other. The man was dead, but it, it just seemed like the judicial system, that phase of it, was dragging its feet. When you can see with your own eyes, there's no justification, there's no alibi, there's no nothing. Not anything that's been been, been presented that, that we haven't seen on, on national television. There's been nothing presented that there's an alibi for what the cop did. So no. what, why did it take two and a half days to charge him? Now, look, he's been charged, have the trial and all that, and, and we'll see what happens. And he's, I, I assume he's in jail with a half a million dollar bond or whatever it was, it'll play its way out. And now we'll see what happens to his three fellow officers. And the other side of it too, and this is, might be a little bit more extreme, uh, Dennis, but you have people standing there filming it with their cell phones. Go over there and get the guy off them. Yeah, I don't... I, <laughs> I don't get that. Get over there and just get right in his face and scream at him. Get off him. Yeah, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm just thinking through that right now. Like, y y if you do see that, I, I could see, like, like saying something, but actually going over there, like, you know, they're the ones that have the firearm, you know, they, putting yourself in that situation. Yeah. Well, I, if, he, if he draws his pistol, at least he'll take his knee off the guy's neck and yeah. back up, put your hands in the air. Yeah, well, there you go. You know what? I, uh, I am fully behind the the, these rallies and, and, and hopefully sure, absolutely. It, it can stay and this becomes something where we feel like there's something that, that comes from it. Uh, and, and the same side, I also, not, not any of the police that were involved 
uh, with George Floyd, but I also support, you know, uh, the police officers and, you know, we need to work with the police and not target police like what was happening across the country. So I think that sometimes it just it, it feels like over the last couple of days, it's like all against the police and, all, you know, no, we, we still, you know, we're with the police still. We just need to we just need to, to, to figure out uh, a better protocol. So no, 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 better protocols. We need to weed out or 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 really put the. You know, get down on the these perpetrators that are actually, you know, giving the, you know, the forces all across the country, you know, this kind of name. And it's happened repeatedly. We need to get away from that. Right. And, and as another part of it, I think what you've seen now, there's been a mobilization of people who really, everybody matters. And, and, but people who are really speaking out on this across the entire spectrum of the of the of American society. I mean, enough is enough. And I think I was talking to Kenny Brown. You might know one of my partners at WJR. We, we talk like nine times a day on everything. We were talking last week before this, any of this started. I said, you know, Kenny, growing up in the 1960s, and, you know, I was around for the riots. I was, what, 22 years old or something like 23, whatever it was. It was a different time. And I said, look, if you want to have a real revolution, get off the couch, get off Twitter, and get out in the streets. Yeah. You just can't do it sitting on your couch tweeting. That's not leadership. That's just kind of chiming in or thinking of clever lines. But if you want to really, if you really want to be a leader, if you want to, when I say revolution, I'm not talking about overthrowing the government. Well, maybe. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> but get get off the couch, get off Twitter, and get your buns out there on the street and work. If that's what you want, if you want to affect change, that's what you've got to do. And that worked in the 60s. They heckled the president, my generation, Lyndon B. Johnson, right out of office. Heckled him so he would not run for another term. I, I, listen, I remember his his uh, speech that night where he finally rolled it up on the monitor and says, I will not accept, nor, you know, he said, I will not see, nor will I accept the nomination. And just the country just went, whoa, I can't believe I heard that. He'd had enough of the, hey, hey, LBJ, how many kids did you kill today? Mm. Well, this is just a couple of days in. Maybe the the protests are not talking about uh, the president or anything, but maybe there there will be. This will be something that continues on. I I wonder is it's a little bit of a shift to sports and, and shift to football sure. here, where the Lions, uh, you know, and the the whole NFL, what what they will do. You know, this this takes you back to you know to Colin Kaepernick and, and the protests and, and and how big of a story that was for for the NFL and, and I remember Martha Ford you could you can tell me if it was different but her stance was that she told the her team and, and her players like look she's going to get behind this like the 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 causes that that uh, her players cared for she was going to get behind it and then the players and they they seemed to to, to have an agreement with Martha Ford I, I wonder if it's going to be individually with the teams and then we'll see what happens uh league wide there they they've they've got a little bit of time but but you know say not much time to get out there and you know come out with uh with with a stance or 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 what they're working towards well we'll see on that one but it's interesting you should mention that because I was talking about that with a friend of mine today about uh, Martha Firestone Ford the owner of the Lions and you know she's always out there before the game and you could see that she did not go to her box like, you know, when the team left the field, she stayed down on the field. And that day, what she did is she stood on the, on the lot, she stood on the sideline with her team for the national anthem. And they had worked out a deal that she would support their causes. And you know, they, they weren't going to, 
settle on exactly what they were going to do in the 10 minutes before the game because they had a game to play, but she met with players and I forget exactly who it was. And she says, look, I'll support your causes. I'll stand on the sideline with you. I'd like you to stand for the national anthem. And they did, and they supported that. And so I thought that was a... I thought that was a great show of faith on her part, and I thought it was a great show of faith on the players' part. They had faith in each other. Now, look, you're always going to have this disagreements between management and players. It's the way it works. That's usually over contracts. But on something like this, I think I think that that really, I think it was, was it three years ago, Dennis? I think that really was, was a key, an important moment in in, in the owner-player uh, relationship. And, and I, as I understand it, it was a, billion dollars or something like that that she contributed to their to their program and I don't look I don't know how the money was divided up and all that but it really to me I, I thought it was a very very progressive forward-thinking move on her part and it showed good faith on the players part too that they 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 kept their word I would agree with you on that that's not something that just gets uh you know it gets glossed over or, or the players are just like oh okay you know we're just gonna uh, there, oh yeah we got meaning. the money let's take a knee yeah right. yeah no, there was some meaning behind that. that no I, th- I thought that was a, a fine moment uh for her and the organization you know I, I i heard pete carroll two weeks ago this isn't about any kind of protests or anything but but he was talking he was, he was actually on a podcast uh Kind of like this one, and he was talking with Steve Kerr. (laughs) Well, Kerr was asking him just like you know how the off season goes, Zoom and all that. And Carol was saying, "Look, uh, it's not much different. You know, we're having the meetings. We we can have the individual meetings uh, with with the uh, you know the the different groups and everything else." But he said, "Once we get you know we're getting closer to June, that's where where a regular NFL off season. That's where we'll start getting behind because that's when they're getting out on the field." And actually working with their, you know, specific units there. So they're here. We are, you know, just the beginning of June, and we do see that, you know, the teams are going to be able to get out there and and, and get some some work here uh, shortly. However, that's going to go. But they're not all of that. I mean, we all we don't know what's going to happen in a month, two months, whatever else. But uh, they're not that far behind. Talking about the NFL just in their in their regular schedule, and there's some things that can be condensed, and, and I'm sure some things like that. Well, probably for like the first 10 or 15 years I covered the National Football League, this is what the offseason was like. They didn't get into the really the heavy mini camps and all that until, you know, maybe in the 1990 or something like that. I'm not saying players didn't work out, didn't come back in shape and all that, but it was different, different time. But now that's, you know, with the, with, with the OTAs and all that, and the structured offseason programs, it's, it's different. But this is sort of what I broke in, you know, covering the league now. Completely different, don't get me wrong, but but but... I think that uh, I would be. I don't know if the, if the Lions are going to be able to get their players in to the facility to work out any time in this off season. From what I heard right from the beginning, and none of this is official, just sort of scuttle. But the pretty good scuttle, but was that really they would do the best they could in the off season program at remote locations, the virtual off season, maybe get them in for a three day mini camp somewhere sometime in June, and then and but really not have the team together until uh, the start of training camp <clears throat> and actually they might start camp early just to get, you know, which I think would be a good idea uh, just to give the team some familiarity. And, and really, I think, you know, the more work you get in that regard that, that you can come back into a short period of time, it really does help the players defend themselves once they get into, you know, contact and all that. I mean, I, I really believe that's why some of the injuries occur that we see now if it's the players don't get enough contact to defend themselves properly when they're out there at, at full speed because it's 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 just 
as long as you play the game, it, things things change from off season to exhibition season to regular season. It really does. Each one of those is a step up. Yeah, and as we're talking here, this is uh, we're recording this on on a Tuesday. There was uh, I would say the breaking news this uh, afternoon about the NFL. ESPN reporting that they've decided that teams must hold training camps uh, this summer at their main practice facilities. And then they uh, said that they would announce the plan along with the tentative start to camps in late July. So, yeah, no, there's not going to be any of uh, going to like so many teams, different teams, Lions used to go up to, to or was it Saginaw to, to have the, right, yeah. maybe a practice over at Ford Field. This one's just going to be at the facilities. Is that what you make out of this? Like, Yeah, that's what I make out of it. The thing I wonder is that, and I, I really haven't had a kind of chance to really dig into it, Dennis, but one of the things I wonder if some of the teams, that, for example, a number of teams used to go to Wisconsin and Minnesota for, for training camp. The Cowboys go out to, I think it's Oxford, California, wherever it is. I wonder if they'll be allowed to do that or if, if, if they're going to be forced to have their training camps at their facility, even though that's not what they ordinarily do. Uh, that, that's just a question off the top of my head. It's, it really, I don't care one way or the other, but but the Cowboys have done that for a long time. It'd be interesting to see if they're, if, they're, if, they're, if they're able to do that or if they do, in fact, have to have their camp at, in Dallas. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, and of course we're not going to see any inter squad scrimmages. Uh, you would think if uh, you know this this holds up, Mike. You know, I I heard you you know earlier you know say how long you were you were covering the NFL back in the day. Did you always cover yeah. the Lions? Uh, well, no, I started at the Detroit News in 1966 as a as a copy boy and got promoted to sports writer the next year, which is a progression. When anytime I talk to kids, you know, I tell them, look. This is just a good story. Your career's not going to start this way because first of all, we don't have copy boys anymore. <laughs> yeah. It's just a different business. But, you know, it just it was something I was going into. And really, Dennis, I got a job as a copy boy at the Detroit News, full-time job, because, <laughs> you know, usually you, you leave your parents. My parents left me. They moved back to South Dakota. And my senior year at Wayne State, I needed a full-time job. I really did. And I was just lucky enough to get hired as a copy boy at the Detroit News. And you know, I really worked my butt off for, God, you know, like a year and a half or whatever it was before it got promoted. And, uh, but I covered, I really literally covered everything. You know, I covered a lot of boxing, really. It's probably as much boxing as football, uh, horse racing, the triple crowns, things like that. Also, I came in, I was lucky. You know, I came in at a time when newspapers had a lot of money and a big circulation. I mean, Detroit News, when I first started, had a circulation of 800,000. And, like, in fact, we delivered more papers than what we had, what we called our. Our late final edition, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, at downtown Detroit. That Detroit News delivers any day of the week now. Just that one, that one edition we had. So, like I said, I hit it lucky at, at, at the right time, and, and uh, to me, it really was a golden era of the newspaper business. It lasted, you know, fifteen, twenty, twenty-five years before before things started to tighten up with the internet and all that, and you know, layoffs and reduced uh, reduced staffs and just reduced assets. I mean, look, we used to go out and cover extra games and all that. You don't see guys do that anymore at all. It's just it's a completely different environment now. No, they do it from their couch. They they can tweet. There you go. But you know the seventies, yep. covering boxing and horse racing. I mean, those were those were giants. I mean, that was the the heyday. The seventies. Uh, that was the best time for for boxing. A little bit before my time. Although when you mention. You know the Detroit News in, in the afternoon edition. I when I lived in Detroit and in, in Brightmore in the seventies, my first job was 
uh, delivering the Detroit news. And, you know, we delivered in. I don't remember exactly when we would go there, but it would be after school, going to the paper station and then, you know, delivering that, that afternoon edition. And, and the only times you – in the weekends, you'd have to get there early in the morning. Saturday and Sunday were, were sure. early. But every other sure. day, you know, right after school with your bike and, uh, you know, delivering papers. Yeah, well, I, listen, I delivered the uh, Detroit Times back back in the day uh, and uh, had a route from seven mile to eight mile. I think I delivered 80 papers or something like that. Had a route for a year or something like, you know, something like that. That was my entry into the newspaper business when I was 12 years old. But, you know, the Free Press had a big, you know, had a big uh, circulation too. Uh, Oakland Press, back in those days, they called it the Pontiac Press, which was really a big paper. I think the Royal Oak Tribune had a daily circulation of something like 50,000. Uh, there was a Ypsilanti Press was another one. It just they were just a tremendous number yeah. of of that what we called smaller papers back then, but they were you know daggone good ones. And you know, the Toledo Blade was sort of a feeder for the Detroit News and Free Press, but uh, but a terrific. I'm not saying I'm not diminishing it. It was a terrific paper in its own right. But a lot of the guys ended up like uh, ended up. Like, I think the football writer, the Free Press at one time, and the baseball writer both came from from the Toledo Blade, but. It was really it was a great a great newspaper environment, great media environment, and you know it still is to me. I still like it. It's it's just different. That's all. It's just different. Well, it sure is. You know, it got to be different pretty quick. You know, I would I would see whether it was movies or whatever else where people are you know driving on their paper out and they're just lo- you know lowering the window and they're just throwing the paper on the on the sidewalk. It wasn't like that for me. I had to go up. It was full surf. I mean, it was walk up, put the paper in the door, and then go to the next one. There was no, like, just you know, tossing it on the front lawn or whatever else. I don't, I don't know if it was like that across the country, but where I was delivering, it was walking up and putting it right in the door. Well, I was. I had some customers who wanted me to do that, and some who didn't mind me. But you know, we would fold our papers and you know, and throw them up on the porch, which was, which was standard then for most of most of my eighty customers. And if I was in a hurry, it was standard for all 80 of them, even if they got a little bit ticked off once in a while. <laughs> hey, Mike, I got some quick hitters for you if you got time for them on the Lions. Sure, here. absolutely. Yeah, yeah well, ahead. we talked a little bit about the North, and and I'm with you with the Bears. I didn't think they had the, the greatest free agency or, or, or the draft. And, you know, I, I I heard you say the Vikings and how you think they'll they'll be better. It's, it's, it's unknown to me. They've got 15 draft choices, and usually you can think about – you know, hitting on half of your picks. So what's that three or four? You probably feel pretty good. They get 15, so maybe they'll get seven or eight of them. That would be huge for them. But I do think the Packers, you know, they 13 wins. I mean, they're they're closer to where the Lions and Bears are than, than I think the, than the 49ers. That's how I look at them. Uh, so there is a chance here for the Lions to – you know, to, to get out of the cellar and, and make a move. It's just how far up, uh, you know, can they get to second? Uh, you know, at first seems, you know, since it's been so long, it's it's very difficult to, to say, yeah, you know, this one's going to be the year that, you know, for the first time in close to 30 years. It, it just seems like that's too, that'd be too much of a of a leap to make. Yeah, like, you know, Dennis, going 3-12 and 1, if they just, if they, if they win six games, yeah, that's, you know, that's double their wins, but that's not a good season. I mean, they've got to be, they've got to be out there knocking for a playoff berth or, you know, you know nine wins or something like that. Now, I'm excluding you know another year without Matthew Stafford for the second half of the season, but if he stays healthy, which I think he will, and he's been you know he's been the Warrior quarterback for 12 years here in Detroit, and really, I mean I've said this to you before, but he's is so much more appreciated 
outside Detroit and among players that he is in certain, uh, certain radio stations in Detroit. One of them I think he used to work for, or still might work for. But, but he is really highly regarded in, in football. As a matter of fact, leading into the draft, remember what Lewis Riddick said when they were talking about the about the report that the Lions might draft Tonga of Viola out of Alabama. He says, the Trey Lions have already have a good quarterback. He said he's carried that team on his shoulders for 12 years. Get him some help. Well, I think they did that in this in this draft, you know, with the running back and DeAndre Swift and 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 I just I think I think they've got a shot this year to be good on offense, but if they're the same even close to the same defensively, they're not gonna go anywhere because you've got to get to the quarterback in this area in the National Football League. You've got to get turnovers and they were very, very poor at both last year. They really were. They just I think they were tied for last in sacks and tied for last in or tied for next to last in, in, in turnovers. You do not win games in the National Football League that way at all. No, no chance. You, no, you don't. And I, I think that the one part, like I haven't seen too many people that did not like their draft. I like it very solid, but you know, there could be some, like they're still looking to address the areas like you're talking about in the front seven, but they have some, some cap space. It'll be interesting to see how they use it. I know there's one report that I saw the second most, so they, they've got some, whether they go out and take a big swing now, or they wait till, whatever happens in a, in a training camp situation where there's some cuts or even getting into if there is a preseason and, and waiting to see, you know, just how their own team looks and then whether, you know, they want to use the money then or we've, we've seen them before, you know, way in even into the season to, to use it there, just how they end up using it. They're going to, I, w- I, would, I would think, just when. Well, yeah, and, you know, some of that cap space is going to be devoted to uh, Kenny Galladay. I think he's third year going into his fourth year now. That's a guy that I think you've got to lock up I think he's, I don't know if he's like a top five receiver in the league, but he's certainly to me the top 10. And he invested this, you know, time and money and resources in him this far. I don't know why you would develop a player who's really ranked in the top seven or eight in just about every key category among wide receivers last, last year. I don't, I don't see why you wouldn't, you know, really go all in to keep him. And I, look, I really think, I think Bob Quinn has done a better job getting talent. Uh, on that roster than, than has been performed on the field. I really do. That's just, you know, my feeling. I just, I, I don't think they were a six win team two years ago. I don't think they were a three, 12 and one team last year. I think the talent level was better than that. One thing was kind of an eye opener to me was I wasn't the biggest fan of, uh, of, uh, Deshaun Robinson, Ashawn Robinson. I'm sorry. I was thinking of Deshaun Hand, yeah. of Ashawn Robinson. But look, you got a two-year contract for seventeen mil, mm. so you don't just throw money away on bad players. And so you know, it didn't quite work here in Detroit for him. I mean, look, he played four years and he started a lot of games, but really, I'd say a low-impact player. He just, you know, I know we judge defensive tackles sometimes on quarterback sacks, and that's a hard—that's a hard thing to get there in the interior like that. But to me, clearly, I mean, the teams went after him and went after him big. The same thing with with uh, you know, a couple of the other free agents that they lost uh, via free agency this year. Uh, somebody thought they were good players because they spent a lot of money on them. Yeah, well, I'm with you. You know, the talent part, uh, I know they got a long way to go, but just on those defensive tackles from Daniels to Snacks to Hand, you know, all those guys were, were mostly hurt, and it's a, it's a, it's a different story. And of course, Stafford it would have been a, a way different story. And uh, I, I think, but my last thing, I, I think, you know, it's, it's such a football town, and yeah, there's there's going to be a lot of dissenters always, and, and the quarterback position that's always with. But I think Stafford has, 
as many fans here as he has detractors. It's just such, you know, people love the game so much, they're always going to go and talk about him. So I, I get your point about he's appreciated outside of uh, outside of Detroit, but I know they love him here too. Yeah, I, th- I think I, I would agree with that too. I think it was Gary Gaines who once told me talking about talk radio. He said there's a big difference between fans, listeners, and callers. That's right. And the callers are the smallest group, but they're the ones who get on and, and make the most noise. And you know what? I, I think it's fair commentary. I've always said that. I don't always like everything that I hear on the radio. Also, sometimes they do think about something I said. It says, "Yeah, that's pretty stupid." <laughs> you know, so I'm not, you know, I'm not exactly exempt from doing doing things like that either. But, but I think it's generally, I think it's fair commentary. I really do. You pay your money, you put your heart and soul into into rooting for your your your, your team, and if it doesn't work out, go ahead and vent. You got every right. Yeah, well, hey, over the years, I think you've said a lot more uh, poignant things than you have on the other side there, Mike. So I've always appreciated it, and uh, it'll be an an odd offseason. We know that. Maybe we will have a season. Maybe we won't. But uh, we'll still talk about it, and I I appreciate your time. Sorry for keeping you so long. No, it didn't keep me long enough. I love doing it. Thanks for having me. Okay. Thanks. We'll we'll talk again. Have a have a uh, a nice rest of your uh, spring here in June as we get to summer. All right, thanks, Dennis. Thanks for having me. Yeah, Appreciate take, it. Take care, Mike. We'll see you. Okay. There he is, Mike O'Hara. Now, we're going to continue talking here. Is that what we're going to do? I'm, like, I'm talking to a producer here. I'm the producer. We're going to call Dan Leach. That's what we're going to do. Will he be fired up? Yeah, I think he will. Hello. There he is, Dan Leach, on the podcast. You know, Dan, I, I figured you were going to bring a lot of energy when you answered, and you did. You didn't disappoint. Hey, you know me. I mean, I, even when I'm tired, I, I'm five times the normal human. Yeah, you know what? It's, it's one of those things. People ask me, you know, when it's not on the radio, and, and I meet them not over the last couple months, you know, because I've been quarantined. I haven't talked to many right. people. But before that, you know, they would say, is, what's Dan like in person? It's like, he's pretty much like he is on the radio. He's like, no, nobody could be like that. And I'm like, no, no, that, he's pretty much like that. He's my, like one of the closest people to what you hear on the radio is kind of the, what you what you get when you meet him in person. And people are like, wow. You know, I, you know way back in the day, Dan, I, I've told this story. You pr- I probably told it to you before that I, I at, a, at Chrysler Arena back in the day, you know, Vital was there. And he was eating in like the, the, the pregame media meal. And it just so happened that Dan Wetzel was there and I was, you know, talking with Dan. And so there I was at the table with Vital, just the three of us. And, you know, Vital was just kind of like, hey, what's going on, man? We were just talking about the game. And afterwards, I was like, well, what did you expect? He was going to be like, hey, hey let me get the mashed potatoes. <laughs> <laughs> he wasn't like that. Give me that coleslaw. It's a Hey, this is awesome. Hey, this is a real awesome pregame meal. No, he wasn't like that. I mean, he was really, like, subdued. So it was it, it was well, strange. For, yeah, for me, it's, and you know this about me, because you and I have worked together for so long and developed the friendship outside of that that one of the nicest things I've ever been told from people that I'll meet at, you know, let's say you and I are doing our remote at, at LCA or Comerica or wherever out in public, you know, even not in a work situation, and they'll hear my voice, they'll, they'll, they'll know it's me, is that Leach, you're the exact same way on the air as you are in person. Now, listen, there's nothing wrong, like you mentioned in my story, and, and he is, I remember when I interviewed him once, 
he was very like he, you know before the interview he was kind of chill and then during the interview he was kind of a little more energetic but it wasn't like he was yeah, like you said give me the coast box but there's some people that they're they're obviously something you know they're performers or entertainers and that they are different on air or on tv and they they are in their everyday lives for me just because you know this about me and those of you have never heard my voice before will we'll hear this for the first time the thing that means the most to me about what i do is that i never pull any punches i never take an argument that's i'm just me and that's what I bring on the air. There's certain people, and it's, it's not a good or a bad thing, because that's who they are, that that's not what their situation is when it comes to broadcasting. That's what I've always been. And for people to say, Leach, you're the same way in person as you are on the air, that means a lot to me, That is because I, I never would fake it anyway. So I wasn't crazy and hyper to begin with, but I, I think that it means a lot you know, to know that people know that there's no, you know, even if it was performance, that's fine. But I'm just the same person, whatever it matters. Yeah, you sure are. You know what? This week here, I don't need to tell you, this is one that, uh, you know, across our country, who knows where we'll end up taking this uh, in June. And we're just at the beginning here uh, of this past week and how everything that has, uh, you know, transpired and that it is how it has gone. You know, you're somebody always that, you know, you're such a big sports fan. And then, but you also are, are huge. You, you've you monitored the news so much and you, your, your social media, you're, you're into it so much, you know, this particular week, how have you been able to, you know, put sport, like sports is not even going into the back seat. It's just like, been it's just like off and it's just all, you know, news and just how difficult a time our country is going through. What's it been like for you? Well, I think it's a, it's a great question. I, I appreciate you asking it. And, and, you know, we, we all love sports. You and I love sports more, more than anything. I mean, it's a huge part of our lives. It's a huge part of so many of our lives. And, you know, you and I have also worked together during some very serious social and, you know, uh, political situations. Obviously not getting political on the air, but you and I were on with the, uh, on election night the last time it happened. And obviously been on for many different uh really very important moments in our country's history. And for me, you know, I've been thinking, the last couple of days, I've been thinking a lot about this because I'm someone, as you kind of laid out there, that is that really is, you know, tuned in, connected, that, that cares about, uh, this is what I try to do, cares about the best for everybody. And we all, we're all different, but we're all the same. Like, you know, some people have tons of money. Some people have no money. Some people are somewhere in the middle. Some people I know are black. Some people I know are white. Some people I know are Jewish, Muslim, etc. And I've been thinking, okay, we're at this, as I've called this in the past, these pushpin type moments where you can kind of imagine like you got that, you know, that, uh, you know, cork board on the wall and you, you go through your life and you have these pushpin moments that you can look back to in just your life personally, in history, in sports. And you'll, you'll never forget where you were, you know, the OJ chase, Magic Johnson announcing he had HIV AIDS, you know, Michigan winning the national title in 89. You, you'll never forget where you were. And, and this is obviously one of those guys. I've been watching these peaceful protests, you know, that happened in Philadelphia, here in Detroit. Obviously, things have gotten up and down at times as far as, you know, intensity goes. But the, the, the thing that keeps coming to my mind and heart is this. What can I do? What can we do? Because, listen, I'm not black, but it doesn't matter. 
and if someone will say that, and, and I think that kind of leaves us off track. But the, the last, you know, couple of days, I'm really thinking about what can I do? And I think the more that I thought about it, Dennis, and I'd love to hear your feelings on this too, is we got to put as much love in the world as we can. I mean, obviously there's the things about getting involved and maybe that means running for office, which I want to do someday, or being involved in your community, or donating to charities, or helping mental health, helping addiction, which I try to do in my life, which I've done through myself. But I feel like the simplest thing is putting more love in the world than hate. And I think we not only all can do that, but it's not it's not hard. Opening a door for someone, you know, calling a friend and telling them you love them, posting something and saying, listen, I hear you, I'm with you. You know, we're in this together, whatever that is. And I feel like, obviously, as sports are not around right now, and you know how much sports can unify us, to not have that, in a way, might give us some more focus. Now, I will say, if they were playing in the NBA right now, if they are playing Major League Baseball, if they were playing in the NHL, you would see a lot of this stuff happening as far as unity and the teams wearing shirts. And I remember that Kobe and the Lakers wore the, the Black Lives Matter shirts uh, with the Michael Brown situation and other things. So that, that'd be one thing. But without sports right now, for the most part, it's having horse racing and European soccer, we're all trained on this. And athletes are coming out and talking. And celebrities are coming out and talking. And people like you and I are talking about this. And I just feel like if we can, at a, at just a, a simple level, understand that being an anti-racist, I know that sounds, you know, it's like a weird term for some, but being against racism is the best thing we can do right now. And the small little things you can do to start in your everyday life is just being kinder to people. And, you know, the COVID thing has caused anxiety and all the stuff that's going on is causing anxiety. I get that. But I feel like the way we get through this to a better other side, aside from the COVID stuff, which is nuts in its own right, is to just be better to each other. And that's what I'm going to keep trying to do, Dennis. And I know you know that about me, but it's not easy for some. You should see my Facebook wall on Twitter. You know, you mentioned the Twitter posts and social media. You should see the amount of vitriol that some steal those keyboard bullies want to throw out there instead of trying to come together and have a discussion. But I'll never give up hope. And I know this is such an important moment. It's our, like, 1967 riots. It's our civil rights movement moment. It's the time to get through what all this pain and anguish has been for blacks, for Jews, for, for so many different races for hundreds of years since this country was founded. The, the great experiment in America, which we all love so much and is a beautiful country. And I'm just going to try to do whatever I can to put as much love and unity in the world as opposed to vitriol. Yeah, love and unity sound like a, a great place to go. And, you know, the, the divide, or racial divide, wealth divide, political divide, I mean, all of that at, at times, you know, it, it didn't seem like, it seemed like over the years we have made a lot of strides uh, in, in racial, yeah. uh, you know, the parts, uh, wealth and politics, you know, it seems like more of a divide there. But, you know, for to answer your your question of what I can do, you know, I've been thinking about that a lot. Is it? You know, is it staying at home and, and, and tweeting from my, you know, my room here? Uh, and I, was, I should get out of you. Uh, Michael Harrow was telling me, you know, back in the day, instead of, you know, tweeting from your couch, it's getting off the couch and, and going to do something, you know, protest right. or something. Uh, you know, for me, I'm thinking like, you know, you mentioned, uh, you know, Ferguson, Missouri and Brown and, and, and Gardner in New York. 
when those situations uh, happened, I was talking about them and I talked about them for days and and maybe a week, and then you know the the talk stopped, you know, and it was like okay, it was yesterday's news, and then it would happen again, and then you know, and I think. Well, it's this time around, keeping that conversation going, finding some things that actually, you know what, we can we can support police, not the rogue uh, policemen, but, you know, the police across the country. And you can also support uh, black Americans. You can do both. You know, it doesn't have to be one or the other and continuing to have and, and not, you know, it, not just about, you know, one week. Or you know, uh, you know, one show or something that people are going to do, and strangely enough, with a pandemic and with really nothing else going on for this time, maybe we can have more of of that conversation, and it can really uh, go somewhere where people feel like, hey, you know, this this is something where 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 George Floyd will remember, you know, the end of May and the beginning of June that that uh, you know something came of it positive that way. Yeah, I think I think that's beautifully said by you. And I think that that's kinda you know, and then I think you touched on something really important there that where it's like, you know, these things happen, celebrity overdose, you know, you, you mentioned Michael Brown's situation, Eric Gardner, I can't breathe, George Floyd, all the things that, you know, dominate news coverage and then they don't go away, but they go away from like, you know, this is interesting that is MSNBC, one of the cable news channels, obviously, brought back their crawl, you know, that, that ticker at the bottom of the screen, for the first time in two years. Because there was so much going on with COVID, and obviously all the protests and all the situations. And this is one of those situations that has never really truly gone away. But at the same time, we can't let it go away. As far as, well, you know, maybe sports start soon, and maybe people, you know, states are opening up more. We've got to keep this thing going. And what I, a couple of nights ago, when you saw these protests around the country over the weekend, and obviously it happened here in Detroit, and they, they got a little out of hand in Detroit, got a little out of hand, obviously, in Louisville, Kentucky, in different areas. But primarily, for the most part, you had peaceful protests all over the country. And it's one of these things where I know that we've had systemic racism, institutional racism in our different aspects of life for a long time. You and I are white guys. It's not our fault. I mean, it's not a bad thing. Being white or being Asian or being whatever, that's who you are. But I think as you look at what's going on this moment right now, police officers kneeling with the protesters, you know, people. I may have just lost Dan Leach. For a second. We're there. Oh, there he is. And it's it's just one of these things where I just know that if we, as you mentioned, keep the conversation going. Well, you know, we, to, oh, go ahead, Dan. Sorry, I was going to interrupt you there. No, really quick, I was going to say, if we can keep the conversation going and let people know, no matter what their race is, that yes, we're different, but the differences make us beautiful, and it doesn't mean we can't be together on things. That, I think, is the key right now. Yeah, I wonder if we get, we get to a point where you can see something where we, we not just we, the black American can say, hey, you know, this is really something that I feel better about, that we have right. made some strides. Because when, when Kaepernick, whatever it was three years ago, 
when he was kneeling, you know, there was a lot of conversation and that kept going. And at some point, you know, like it, it, it became where, whether it was corporate America, uh, it was just the NFL owners, uh, whether it was just football fans, it seemed like they just had Kaepernick fatigue enough with this. And, uh, and, and so he was keeping it going. He wasn't the, you know, the, the, the best spokesperson because of, uh, you know, his own situation, whether he's making fun of police officers, that wasn't. But his point, you know, he did have a point about awareness of of police brutality. I mean, that was his his main message there. And it seemed like, yeah, he was trying to keep that going. But in the end, it was just like corporate America was like, no, you're just going to have to go ahead and do this some other way on some other time because people are tired of it. I, I, I don't know if, if you feel like that's the if that's true, because that goes against what I was saying, like, yeah, Hey, keep this, this message yeah. going. And no, yeah, this I, was a similar message. And during the football season, people were like, I just want football. I, I don't, I'm, I don't want to protest. Yeah. I'm so glad you brought that up. Cause I actually literally was, was about to, because I've got such an important part of this. And, and there's this meme that I, I tweeted recently uh, that someone had sent to me. And I think that it's, it's so powerful because it shows the protest. It shows Kaepernick kneeling. It shows what happened in Ferguson. It shows what happened, you know, in honor of Eric Gardner. It shows, you know, what's happening right now with George Floyd. And it's, it's all about how, okay, you know, we want you to protest, but not like this. But not like this. But I mean, imagine, and like I said, it's not, just because I'm white doesn't mean I can't be empathetic. I felt this stuff every single time. So have you, Dennis. We've done, you mentioned the different shows that you were on and I were on we, we were together during many of these, these major social moments in our country's history. And, to, to imagine, to, to be empathetic and think of someone, I have many friends that are that are black that have gone through this, and many of our colleagues in in the business, in the media business, are black and have, have, a, have a very you know obviously close, close perspective on this. And to to be someone like you know, and I, I I've always felt connected to to, to blacks and African Americans because I'm Jewish, and we've all dealt with you know anti-Semitism. My, my brethren, not as much where I live here in Detroit. Because we have a huge Jewish population, but I dealt with it here and around the country. I've had people tell us that didn't even realize I was Jewish when I was out visiting, like California or, or you know down south or whatever, and would make some kind of joke about Jews, and and I just had a bit bite my tongue. So to think about that, and maybe if I was alive during the Holocaust or my our fellow black uh, you know brothers and sisters now that they want to get their voices be heard, and yet they're told not like this, not like that, not like this, and to bring it back to the Kaepernick thing. And I, and I know I need to listen. I got a lot of, gr- of grief from some people, not many, but from some about how supportive I was of Colin Kaepernick. Oh, you hate the troops, please. Oh, you hate the cops, please. Oh, we wore pig socks. Well, let, let me let me kind of throw this into a small bow for some that don't want to maybe understand what was going on there. Colin Kaepernick used his platform at the time. He's a black woman since status, which drives me crazy. He used his platform as an NFL he was a star. He was went to, he went to a Super Bowl with one one. He used it to nonviolently protest during the national anthem, which I've talked to so many active and former members of the military and policemen that say, "Listen, I might not agree with it. Most of them did, but I might not agree with what he's doing. But I, I am going totally okay with what he's doing because that's why I served. That's why I went to Iraq. That's why I went to Afghanistan. He does this nonviolently." And he creates this firestorm of people thinking he's not American, hates the, the country. If we could just listen instead of screaming at each other, which unfortunately happens all too much. And you know what it's like, Dennis. 
you get in a fight with your spouse, your your parents, your your your, your good friend, your sister, whatever it is, that when you're yelling at each other, you don't listen. And that's the biggest thing. Like we didn't listen enough to what Kaepernick was trying to do. We turned into this political thing and anti-troops and anti-flag, mm. and it wasn't that at all. It was trying to give a voice to so many disenfranchised people that have been disenfranchised for centuries in this country. So that's why I think, as you brought up so eloquently, and what I'm trying to say as well, that in this moment, you know, we, we, we can't take this anymore. We've got to keep moving through and listening. And if we can listen, and as I mentioned earlier, put more love into the world and hate, we can get somewhere. And, and you mentioned another very important thing that I wanted to bring up, and, and sorry to talk so long here, but this is something that I really want to throw out there, that we have come a long way. And I've talked about this a lot over the last few days. I, I, I threw up a Facebook Live the other day when everything kind of got nuts over the weekend because I just wanted to talk with people. And people were on a very important point. When Obama got elected, first black president, we thought we had, you know, this was a huge moment, um, which obviously was. And we had come this long way from, you know, segregated water fountains and Rosa Parks and all these different things. And yes, we had come a long way, but it's not as far as we thought. And it's not nearly as far as we need to go. And that's what I think we have to, to really concern ourselves with, having those discussions, listening to each other, and being fervent anti-racist. If that's the only way this thing's going to change this. Yeah, you know, for me, over 20 years of taking calls in, in Southeast Michigan, when, when situations, any kind of situation like this would come up and you're, you're taking a call from, from somebody and you say, well, you, you can't walk in their shoes, but you can listen to what they're saying. And, and over the years, there's no doubt that, and, and people, I know people have heard this, but when you, you take call after call and year after year and you hear this, like, you know, black males, when, when the, the police pull them over, that's not like when you and I are getting pulled over, you know, it, and, and sometimes, yeah, they are just getting pulled over for being black. Sometimes, you know, sometimes that is happening. But then when you think about the the situations that have happened, you know, the, the real fear where you're, you know, yeah, you might fear like, hey, uh, I, I didn't bring my insurance paper. Or this is going to cost me a couple hundred. But these guys, you know, you see some some disco lights behind you and you're getting pulled over and you're thinking, you know what? Hey, uh, who knows? You're, you're fearing for your life. And that's way different. I mean, that, that's such a difference. That's the thing that, you know, I think of a lot, you know, I, I think of a lot and that's situations like this, but when you're just out there and, and like, uh, I mean, how much are you really fearing for your life? And yeah. you can just be driving to the store and then, you know, you, you have a police officer turn on the lights and you can be like, wow. And then if it's not, we're, you're fearing for your own life if you you know if there're people that you care about your own family or your friends and that's happening to them you know i don't know like how can we get where you know that's not going to be the situation that's 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 yeah, what we're trying to work towards that's a huge that's a huge and you know you just reminded me of two different incidents uh the first thing to to get to what you just said there which i think is such an important po- question and point is that you know i think it starts with obviously education around the country, uniform, you know, anti-racism, training, all that kind of stuff. Because you mentioned, you, you know, people like us were white. And I'm not saying that white people don't have issues with police. Sometimes too, they do. But, you know, the, George Floyd did die. He, he did get killed for by the police. And, and that is, once again, uh, you know, such a small, 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 minute number of 
the men and women in blue that are bad. There's bad people in every walk of life. But I was just thinking about two things. One, a former colleague of ours, Dennis, and I won't mention his name, you might not want me to, but you can do anything you a, want. I know. Well, well, no, actually, he wouldn't care because he talks about us all the time. Our friend Martin Weiss used to work with us in 97.1. He told me this story, you know, when I think we were during the Ferguson stuff, because he was still working there then, that his dad told him as a young child the five or six things to do when you get pulled over. You know, put your hands up or make sure you're not moving around and have your stuff ready. Open the window, put your head in the steering wheel, whatever it is. It's not like that's, it wouldn't apply to someone else, but it was really teaching an African-American man or woman how to handle a police interaction because there are so many of them that are looked at differently, which is disgusting, but that's just a truth. I mean, lying, and we'd be lying if we didn't say that there's black people over than a white person or someone in a Mercedes in a suburb as opposed to a, a black person where, you know, driving a, maybe a dirtier car somewhere else in, in, in downtown Detroit, we know that's just the way it goes. So that I have other friends since then that have told me that. And I, I know that you and I are pretty sure took calls during these situations where the, the parents had told the kid or their parents had told them, you know, these different rules or different things to live by when you get pulled over. And then we don't know how true this, you know, dramatization was, but I know I, I read into it and I, I know it happened. Johnny Cochran during that People versus OJ series on FX, he was pulled over in Beverly Hills or whatever as a black man and kind of not roughed up, but really, you know, this is the guy that's, that's defending OJ. Or I'm sorry, it was uh, Christopher Dart, not, not Johnny. No, no, it was, I'm sorry, it was Johnny Cochran. And he's defending OJ and is his famous attorney and is pulled over and, you know, kind of treated differently by the police because he's black. And that's in California, Beverly Hills. So we know this is going on and has been for a long time. And like you said, what do we do to make this better? There has to be training around the country. There has to be discussions with community people and, and city council meetings and, and local government meetings. When it comes to the police chiefs meeting together, there's that show, uh, 60 Days In, on uh, on uh, cable that is about what they can do to you know make the jails better. They have like five or six or seven people go undercover into the jails and see what's what's so wrong with these different facilities. I'm not saying we did bad people to the police, but they figure out what's better for that 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 institution to be fair for you know all the inmates, whatever their colors are. And that's what we need to do, with police. We need to make sure that the police, if it's a white cop, a black cop an Asian cop, a Muslim cop, a Mexican cop, no matter who they are, to understand how to interact with anybody, regardless of their color, regardless of their socioeconomic background. And, and I, that's one of the, the main things we can do to start this. Not that it hasn't happened in these last 10, 15 years of all these viral videos making a difference, what they, they could do 20, 30 years ago, pre-cell phone cams and stuff like that, and body cams on police officers. But we've got to do it more. we got to have way more training, way more discussion, because this stuff has got to stop. And, you know, Dennis, imagine if there's one more video. I think it was Van Jones who said this last night uh, on CNN. If there's one more video that comes out in the next week or so, we are going to go over the edge. And it's not going to be a peaceful protest. It's going to be chaos. We can't let it get to that. Well, we don't want it to get to that, that's for sure. We need police also to, you know, they, they the, the all the things that you're talking about with the training there – they need so much more. Like you start to get to the funding and and what you yeah. could really do to help them out. Because a lot of this, is, there's no excuses for anything that that's been happening. Any of these these situations, and I don't know, these guys break or what. A, but they, these guys are put in in some terrible situations uh, as well. And again, no excuse here. But there's other things that can be looked at 
with uh, you know police across the country and, and what you can do to to help them out uh, in with with all of that training and, and it gets us back to sports here finally. Uh, Dan, I don't say finally, yeah. but but finally with with baseball because it's you know all of this. Uh, I know the 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 owners came out with with their proposal, and, and really uh, today where you know they said uh, hey uh, the the baseball players last the players association last week was saying 114 games and now baseball is saying well how about 50 and 60 maybe we'll defer some of that money I I don't know about any of that but I do know that like we were talking about before that they have a responsibility during a pandemic to to pull the morale up and if they could get back yeah. on July 4th. And now this is added here, and this should put the pressure on both of these sides to say, look, it, it, this is more about who's making a million dollars or who's going to lose a million dollars. Uh, this is a game that could get on the field by July 4th. And now in addition to the pandemic, we have a, you know, a, a, a national unrest here, civil unrest. This could also do something to to further that with the responsibility, and it could be a positive. So hopefully they they feel a little bit of that as well. And yeah, I just like I like watching baseball. Sure, there's that part, but we know what sports can do, and we we we've seen it. Uh, we we saw it in in baseball. Who could forget? You know, George W. running out and you know throwing the pitch there uh, in New York after 9/11, getting the getting the, the the players out there and what that could mean. That could help. That definitely could help get it going and certainly could help. Yeah, and, and uh, we're not talking about, I mean, obviously the whole minor league pay situation and the minimum salary guys is a whole other discussion. For another day. We're not talking about those guys. We're talking about like, guys that are making millions and millions of dollars and that if they can uh, you know, find a way to come to terms with the other side and get out there, it is such a unifying and healing thing. And you brought up the George Bush moment. How about after Katrina? Uh, with the Saints and Falcons. How about Mike Piazza's home run? How about the Patriots? Uh, well, I think it was Teddy Bruschi, if I'm not mistaken, bringing out the flag yeah. uh, after 9-11. That, that obviously is such a, and we miss sports in the first place so dearly because they are such a unifying thing and such an emotional and visceral thing that, that bring us together. I mean, think about this. You know, right now we're seeing, you know, another, another death of a black man by the end of the cop. And, you know, when you go to a football game, it's, it doesn't matter if you're black or white or, you know, Asian or Hispanic or Muslim or Jewish or whatever. You're a, you're a Lions fan or you're a Patriots fan or you're a Tigers fan. And that's why I think sports, as, we, as we've talked about throughout this today, that it's so important. And obviously, I, I, I've, I've been someone that hopes I'm wrong about this, but I, I just don't feel sports are going to come back as soon as some want it. But I, I want them back because we know how important they are. And Dennis, for people like you and I, that obviously do it for a living. It's one thing, but I've had so many people through these last few months reach out to me, whether it's a personal friends or on, on Facebook or on Twitter or on different shows that I've done, my task force shows. And you and I talked about it when you were on that sports, they miss it so much and that we need that, not just distraction, but something to bring us together because there's anxiety, there's anger, there's frustration. People are scared. You know, there's, there's takes at the white house. So it's like there's all these things going on, and sports is such a healing thing that it brings everyone, regardless of their race, color, or creed, together. You're a fan. You're a Detroit Tigers fan. You're a Detroit Pistons fan. You're a Detroit Lions fan. You're not black, white, Asian, Hispanic, Jewish, Muslim, whatever. You are a fan. And that's why I think if baseball, if it just comes down to money, I will be so utterly disappointed. And I saw Tony Clark on with uh, – 
you know, at a player association with Robert Tiger, on with Brian Gobel on Real Sports. He was on with the commissioner of the WNBA and the commissioner of uh, Demora Smith from the NFLPA. And they were talking about all these different things about how he can get back and, and what it's going to take. And I think Tony Clark brought a really important point that it, it's, we, we can't see this right now in a normal prism. We are in, in just kind of uncharted territory in modern times during a pandemic. And now, as you mentioned, national civil unrest because of a, a terrible death of a, of a black man that never should have happened at the hands of a police officer. So I, I just, I, I hope they can find a way. And you and I, obviously, and, and so many others know how important it is. But if they don't, it'll be, a, and they're able to come back safe like South Korea has, and they still don't do it because of the money, it'll be a huge, uh, you know, just kind of black eye on baseball and sports itself. And I feel like they'll find a way to do it the opposite of that. I think they'll find a way to do it the right way because they know how important they are right now. They know, they know how much we need sports right now. And, and that could be such a uh, kind of a, a good transition into bringing us together aside from all the other things right now. Good job, Dan. It was great to talk with you, man. Uh, keep up the good work out there. Keep up the yeah. uh, keep up the love, man. I will, and you and I got you know things in plans, and and I know that uh that, that the great times, even though it's been very tough for for everybody, great times will be ahead. And anytime I get to spend time with you in any facet, uh, means a lot to me, as as you know. And and uh, I want nothing the best for you, and and I and everyone going forward. Yeah, me too. All the best, man. Thanks for for coming on here, spending so much time. My, my pleasure and honor. I can talk to you for hours. I've done it before. <laughs> Hopefully yeah. I'll do it again. Absolutely. All right. Take care, Dan. You as well. There he is. It's Dan Leach. I don't know why I'm playing the music so loud. There it is. Get on that producer. Oh, yeah. I'm the producer. All right. That's not bad right there. All right. Thanks for listening keep doing this doing this podcast podcasting keep putting them out there for you keep listening one person listening feel good 100 feel a little bit better take care it's good to do it we will talk to you soon oh remember if you're just listening to this and you want to make sure you're getting these uh quicker you subscribe and you get them out there on the day i do them then i put them out there on social media you know, the next day. So subscribe. You get them faster. The bottom line of that.